Father, thank you so much for this beautiful day you've given us. And everywhere we look, we see your goodness and your glory in that which you have created. We ask as we look at your word this morning, Father, that you would grant us clarity of thought and clarity of hearing and clarity of expression. And that your Holy Spirit will minister to each heart here that we would be real with what we are pursuing in life. That when we stand before you to give an account of our life, that we will not be ashamed, but that we will receive great reward. We commit ourselves in this time to you, trusting you, Father, to speak to us individually by your Spirit and through your word. And we pray that we would receive the things that you say to us and live in light of what you say we are to do and to be. And we ask this in the name of your Son. Amen. All right, we want to ask ourselves this morning, what does it mean to pursue something? So let's ask ourselves that first. What does it mean to pursue something? How do you hear that word used in life, in conversations today? Go means to go after something. Means to do it with all your might, with all your being. And we hear people say uh, they're pursuing a degree in such and such. Or if they're in sports, you know, they're pursuing a career in such and such, it means to go after. Now, when you go after something, if you really want to attain it, there are things you have to not do in order to pursue something. And you've heard me say through the years, if you aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it. And unfortunately, most people in America, most believers, don't aim at anything. They just kind of meander through life rather than giving themselves to something. So we want to look at what God says we are to pursue and ask ourselves, what are we to pursue according to God's word what are the results of pursuing the right things? And what happens if we don't pursue the right things? And we're just going to let Scripture answer that. Now, we looked last week at 2 Timothy 2.15. Tell me, in those, in those verse, what is it we are to pursue? We're good. We are to present ourselves to God as an approved workman. And what in this text, what happens to those who do not do that? Huh? They will be ashamed. Where will they be ashamed? At the judgment seat of Christ. Now listen to me carefully. Because the concept that all believers have is that sin won't be brought up 
at the judgment seat of Christ. If you don't study to show yourself approved unto God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, is that going to be revealed? Is it a sin? Because it's in contradiction to what God told us to do. Is that clear? Any questions about that? That's important. Alright, now let's look at 2 Timothy 2.22. What are we to flee according to this verse? Now, youthful desires can be a lot of different things. We usually think of sexual desires. But it is things that people who are dumb or naive can let in their life. And when we let those things in our life, what happens is we fall into sin. So we have to know ourselves and know where our flesh has certain desires. It's not the same. There's some things that are kind of common to men. But there are some things that are peculiar to you that are temptations to you that may not be as much to other people. And you remember the illustration I always use is I never have had a drink. So my flesh was never trained to desire alcohol. But if it were... Were there, would there be people and places I would have to avoid? Yes. yes, that's what it means simply. Is know yourself, like if you are prone to gossip, what do you have to avoid? You have to avoid people who gossip because you're going to be drawn into it. And usually gossip, it, it's sometimes not, necessarily bad things, but it's just repeating things about other people that you don't need to repeat. Because, the, remember, if you repeat something to somebody, the further it goes, the more twisted it gets. And so, that is imperative for you to know yourself, know what your bits to sin are. Like, if you're prone to depression, see, that's one of my bents is depression. That goes with bitterness and unforgiveness. There's some sins that are kind of coupled together, that kind of go with each other. So knowing that about myself, when things are difficult for me, I have to guard against the devil whispering to me. So I guard my thoughts, and I really guard against people who would make me feel sorry for myself. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Because wh where is that going to go if you start feeling sorry for yourself? It's, it's going to get worse, and you're going to get in the pit. So that's what he's talking about in a practical way. All right, what are we to pursue? What's the first thing we're to pursue? 
righteousness. What is righteousness? It's right in our standing with the Lord, but that's settled. It's doing the right thing. It's doing the right thing. We're to pursue doing the right thing at all times in all situations. All right, we're to pursue faith. How do you pursue faith? How do you build your faith? All right, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So does that couple together with 2 Timothy 2.15? Does it go together with that? Yes, it does. So if you're studying to show yourself an approved workman, then it's going to build your faith as you study God's word. Also, remember one of the ways you pursue faith is who is it that comes to you to accuse God? Satan. So has he ever come to you and made you doubt God? Yes. So the way you would pursue faith in that is you would resist the devil and he would flee. You also have to be on guard against people who will talk you into unbelief. Y'all know people who will do that? When, when you're, especially when you're in a difficult situation, a lot of times... Um, Say you've been praying for something for a long time and uh, it hasn't happened. What's the devil going to come and tell you? It's not going to happen. God doesn't love you. God doesn't hear you. You've got something wrong in your life. And he plays the hot and cold game about what that is. All right, but people can do that too, can't they? People can do that too. So do you see that there are situations and people that you have to hold at arm's length? Because if not, you're not pursuing faith. It's just like um, all of my great-grands, um, Rebecca's children, are involved in some kind of sports. And they're very good at what they're involved in. So they're pursuing it hoping that the end result might be a scholarship. So if somebody comes to Drayton, say, and he, he's a long-distance runner, and he's very good at it, uh, and he's improving all the time. So somebody comes to him, and he's running to get up his speed and says, why don't we go out tonight and have some fun? What's he going to do? He's got to meet tomorrow. He's not going to go. Why? Because he couldn't pursue one thing and another thing. And see, the problem with most people is they try to pursue both things. You can't, can you? You can't give yourself to everything. So you set your goals, and your goals should be God's goals for you. And then you seek after that, realizing it, in Hebrews, you know, it says laying aside every encumbrance. Remember? All right, it's whatever keeps you from pursuing what God says you are to pursue. All right, we're to pursue love. 
we've just finished a study on love, what it is and what it isn't. All right, we're to pursue that. Now remember, it's action, words, not emotions. So you pursue acting like God says you act, particularly toward the brethren. All right, you're to pursue peace. Now, the Bible, and we're going to look at that um, in Hebrews 12, 14. But peace is an absence of conflict, but remaining in your heart with good will toward those you could be at conflict with. Again, there are times in life you have to let people go, you have to avoid people, and, and you know that there are some people you can't be at peace with. So you just let that go. Along with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. All right, let's look at Hebrews 12, 14. All right, we're to pursue peace with all men. Now, um, the Bible recognizes that there's some people you can't be at peace with. You don't try to be at peace with things that are contrary to God and to his word. All right? You, you can't have peace with people like that. Um, there, see, people misunderstanding love, and we touched on this, like if you have a family member in overt sin, you're going to have to keep them at arm's length and maybe can't even see them. Because when you're around them, the human tendency is to begin to lessen what sin is. It's not as sinful to you if you stay around it. You get used to it. That's just a fact. You also avoid people who are in doctrinal error. Why? It reinforces you're reinforcing it with them. If you're friends with it, they won't see the seriousness of the error they're in. And also, they're going to try in some way to persuade you that it's right. So, looking at what peace is but what it isn't helps to clarify it. All right, we're also to pursue sanctification. What is sanctification? It's the process of becoming more like Christ. It's the process of becoming more like Christ. Do you think most people are pursuing that? No, no they're not. Now, it's holiness. Now, we don't hear much about holiness in our world today, do we? People just want to see how close they can get to sin and get by with it. But we are to pursue sanctification. Now, what is the result if we do not do these things? Without which, what does he say? No one will see the Lord. Now, he's talking about here, perceive what God's truly like. Why are these necessary to really get to know God? Peace and holiness. He's done peace for us. 
because he's a God of peace and because he's holy. Now, you cannot equate biblical IQ with personal knowledge of God. You cannot equate the two. Two different things. You can know a lot of things. I remember Mr. Carroll saying about a very well-known Bible writer that his secretary said to Mr. Carroll, he's biblically intelligent, but he is not a spiritual man. What a terrible thing to have. Right, that's true. And so, you see, people can have a lot of biblical knowledge, but not have an intimate relationship with the Lord. The, you only come into an intimate relationship with the Lord when you're like-minded to him. Remember, he's a personal being, and he reveals himself to people who think like he does, who pursues what he wants you to pursue. And see, the end is always a more intimate knowledge of God. That's available to everybody, but there are conditions. There are conditions to it. All Christians do not have an intimate walk with God. That is scarce in our world today. And it's pretty much always been scarce because people want the world and God too. Can you have both? No, you cannot have both. You can't. All right, look at First Peter 3, 10 through 12. Now, this is a very important passage. The one who desires life. Now, in this sense, when we talk about life in biblical terms, Sometimes it's talking about physical life. Sometimes it's talking about eternal life. And sometimes it's talking about abundant life. In this context, which is it talking about? It's talking about an abundant life, that which Christ died to give us. And love to see good days. In other words, you want your life to be blessed by God. Have an abundant life that is blessed by God. What must he do? He must keep his tongue from evil. Oh, most people fail right here, don't they? Now, what does it mean to keep your tongue from evil? You don't gossip. You don't say hurtful things. Now, let me tell you, sometimes you have to say things that are hurt that hurt people, but it's not hurtful. Do y'all know the difference? All right. Sometimes in correction, you might hurt someone, but it's not hurtful. There's a difference in the two. It's helpful. So if you remember what I've said through the years to you all. If I'm talking to a woman and I say she is not getting what I'm saying, what do I seek to do? Why do I want to make her cry? So I know I have gotten in there. Because see, if you're a Christian and you're not walking with the Lord, what's happened to your heart? 
It's become hard. And so if I'm talking to her, and particularly in the realm of raising her children or in her relationship with her husband, and she's giving me the buts. Y'all know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm saying God says you must do this, but she gives me an excuse. All right, I set myself then to try to get in there to make her cry. And I do that so I know I have gotten to her heart. Y'all follow what I'm saying? Now, that may hurt, but is it hurtful? No. Do you see the difference? We're to, we're, that's the kind of thing we are to do. All right, he's to keep his lips from speaking deceit. One of the things I see in women, I don't think men are guilty of this, but sometimes when you have to bring correction to a woman, she takes it further than you said it. Y'all ever had that happen? <laughs> you, you can say, um, now I don't want you to do this anymore at Bible study. I've had to tell people, don't do this at Bible study. Oh, you want me to quit coming? And I'll say, is that what I said? <laughs> so don't be guilty of that. And don't be guilty. This is another thing women are so bad about. And this is the height of evil to God. Is insinuating things about people. Um, I've known a couple of people who were women who were really bad about this. And uh, they would say about to me about people we mutually knew. Well, you know how things are. And then turn and walk away. Now, and, and what happens when people do things like that? <laughs> yeah, the devil just comes in and fills in all the blanks. Right. Why is that such an offense to God? It should be to us, because that's what the devil does. Right? That's what the devil does. The devil is a liar. And he works on insinuation. Remember, that's what he did with Eve in the beginning. He begins with insinuation. Oh, hath God really said? Hath God really said that? So, don't be guilty of that. He must turn away from evil and what? He must seek peace and what? Now, how many times have we seen in three verses we're to seek peace? Three times. Is that important to God? Yes. yes. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the who? Now, has he told you what righteousness looks like? Has he? He just told you, didn't he? And his ears attend to their prayer. Now, are there con huh? That's a big promise. What? Turn that around. See, if you want God to answer your prayers, are there some conditions? So, if you don't do that, what's going to be the outcome? He's not going to hear your prayers. Oh. Now, 
That's pretty important, isn't it? But his face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, what is evil according to these verses? What we just looked at. Now, you know, in the Old Testament, it talks about David in particular in the Psalms would say, make your face to shine or his face is toward so-and-so. That means God's favor. That person has God's favor. The last thing you want to do is have God's face against you. You don't want his face to be against you. So if you're guilty of any of these things, is God's face going to be against you? Yes. Now, that's something you need to warn people about, isn't it? If they're guilty of these things. Because a lot of times people moan about God never answering their prayer. Listen, if God isn't answering your prayers on a regular basis, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. Because he is a father who delights to answer the prayers of his children. He delights to do that. Now, there are times that God would have us to pray and pray and pray. How do we know that in Scripture, that we're to keep praying on certain things? Remember the man who knocked on the door continually asking for bread? God wants us to learn to persevere in prayer. And sometimes, especially if it involves other people, God may be working, but you don't see it, that he's at work to answer your prayer. But there are some things God will answer almost immediately. Almost immediately. If he doesn't, there's a problem. There's a problem. Yes? Well, the Lord knows what it takes to. Yes. Yes. Right. <coughs> you didn't. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Because sometimes, if we're praying for somebody's salvation, God, just like you said, He's at work bringing things about. And in the meantime, he's at work in us, bringing things about in us that need to be before he answers this. All right, let's look at Second Peter 1, 5 through 8. 
This is kind of a Rosetta stone. Y'all know what I mean by that. It's in kind of um, something that helps you interpret the rest of Scripture. He said, now for this very reason also, what does he tell us to do? Apply all diligence in your faith. Apply what? Now, we think that means more purity. It doesn't. It means spiritual energy. That is something you have to stir yourself up. Did Paul say, stir yourself up? Yes, we have to stir ourselves up. Because if you don't keep yourself stirred up, what is the human tendency, even in believers? To get lax. To get lax about things. And in your moral excellence, what? Knowledge. Now, where are most people who are believers? In this verse. They've stopped at faith. Right? Well I believe. And they've stopped. Yes you do. Yes you do. It doesn't come easy. That's exactly what Hebrews tells us. We have to lay aside every encumbrance. Now, do you see that here again we're told to pursue knowledge just like we are in 2 Timothy 2.15? All right. Do you think most people are applying all diligence to know God's word? Now, I said this to the Sunday school class yesterday. We have been doing this study for 10 years. This is our second time around. If you look down at your copyright, when was it copyrighted? 2014. See, that's almost 10 years we've been doing this. Now, our church has supplied these books for 10 years. Every student gets a book. Is that true? Every student is given a book. No matter whose Bible studies you study, most of them cost at least $25. Is that true? Now, this study's broken down into 12 components, right? There are 12 separate studies within the one study. Multiply that for me. 12 times 25. Now, if you've been doing it twice around, you can multiply it by 24. Now, do you think most people value that the church has given you about $500 to do this study? Ever thought about it? Plus, they put it online for people if they have to be out of class or if they move away. Or if you have somebody out of state who wants to hear the... And we have people, you know, around the United States that listen to it regularly. Now, 
Do you know that there are people who have a book and never open it unless they come to class? What do you think God thinks about all of that? Huh? Yes, he'll bring it up and listen. It is more imperative than ever that you know the word of God for yourself. Because there's so much heresy out there. It is not funny. In fact, I've told you this. I don't listen to anybody online. Occasionally, one of my good students will send me a link about something. Like somebody sent me a link yesterday on uh, Ezekiel 38. And this pastor's right on target, you know, with, that, with Ezekiel 38. He's right on target. And he was telling his church, you know, this is what the Bible says is going to happen. All right? We are two of the big elements of God's judgment of saved and lost are light and opportunity. Now, let me ask you this. How much light... Do you have available to you in light of the fact the church has given you this book to study? And how much opportunity do you have to study it? Y'all see what I'm saying? It's our choice with what we do with our time and energy. All right, and in your knowledge, what are you to add? Self control. And in your self-control, what? Perseverance. You are to persevere regardless of circumstances. You keep on keeping on. Now, there are times with all of us that the flesh is going to tell you, you need to quit, give up, and give in. I've just been in a recent battle, and y'all know, you know, I haven't slept for over a month. And my doctor's ordered a sleep study, and I haven't heard anything. I asked that it be referred to Bill Walker here because he thinks it's coming from the bronchiectasis my primary care does. All right. If on Sunday morning I get up, I've slept two hours. I'm like a zombie. And I've gone to sleep consistently in church every Sunday, haven't I, Brenda? Brenda noticed it the other week. Now, what is the devil telling me? You just, right. Because I've got Martha McMahon, the pastor's wife, fills in for me. I've got an excellent fill-in. And so the devil's coming at me saying, and people are saying, well, you do so much, maybe you need to consider giving up some stuff. Right? So, I made up my mind this week. 
whether I do a sleep study or not, whether I never get any sleep or not, I'm going to give it my all. I might be like a zombie and not know my left hand from my right when I stand up to teach, but that's his business, right? I'm going to do my part. Now, Robin used to tell me, because I went through this one time years ago, and I'd say to Robin, Robin, I haven't slept at all. She said, hot dog, God's going to show up. <laughs> so, you have to learn, no matter what's going on, you keep persevering. Because in that, God's doing something that you might not see. And so you just do all you can do to keep going. All right? And then you add godliness. What is godliness? Now I'm going to tell you, because this is the best definition you will ever find of godliness. It is a bit of the emotion, will, and intellect to love God supremely. It is a bent of the emotion, will, and intellect to love God supremely. Why is that the definition of godliness? Because if you do that, you're going to be what he wants you to be because you live to please him alone. Now, that is imperative that you aim at that, right? That you work on that. No competing affection. See, it comes, it springs from a pure heart. You remember what a pure heart is? One that has no competing affections. See, if you, if you realize you're tempted to stay home from church if you have visiting family. Is that a competing affection? Uh-huh. So what do you do with competing affections? You kill it, right? You don't do it. You don't do it. Because the more you give into it, the more you're going to give into it. It becomes your way of life. All right? It's also that you don't keep any sin in your life. You don't regard iniquity in your heart. You don't hold on to any sin. You let it go. The minute God puts his finger on something, you get it out of your life right then. All right, and to your godliness, brotherly kindness. What is brotherly kindness? It's treating other Christians like family. Treating other Christians like family. And in your brotherly kindness, what? Love. 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. For if these qualities are yours, and what does he say? Increasing. You will never reach the end of working on these qualities. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in what? The true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is, if I had to pick out verses to live by, this would be it. Now again, what is he saying is the result of this? 
you're going to really know the Lord. He's going to reveal himself to you if you do this. Will he reveal himself to those who don't? No. They're just going to bump along through life. They're not going to have an abundant life and they're not going to really know the Lord. Why? They're not interested in doing it. Right? It's like my great-grandson. He's got a lot of people on his team. You know, as he's worked on running, he's had a lot of people on his team. But he's given himself to improving his time. He works every day on that. He's pursuing. He, he has a number he wants to reach. I don't remember what it is because I don't keep up with, you know, He's a long distance runner now. First it was sprinting, he maxed that, and now they put him in the long distance running. And he's got so many miles he's going to run in such a period of time that he's aiming at. How many people aim at this kind of thing? Huh? Not many anybody. Not many anybody. Why? One of the reasons is they don't know they're supposed to. They haven't been challenged. They haven't ta been told, if you don't do this, you will never have a close relationship with the Lord. No matter what you do. He's not going to reveal himself to you. Because even if he did, you wouldn't understand. That's why people got, <laughs> when I was talking about the wrath of God, and God hating people. See, they don't really know God if they can't accept that. He wouldn't be who he is if he didn't hate evil people. He would not be holy. He would not be righteous. He would not be just. He wouldn't even be loving. You want to tell me that God loves these people who've gone in there and burned babies alive? You want to tell me God loves those people? No, he does not. Why do people get upset about that? Because it's contrary to their view of God. And they don't have a true knowledge of God. They don't know him at all. So they get all hysterical. Same way about the judgment seat of Christ. <sighs> I thought my sins were behind his back. He cast him in the sea. He didn't remember me anymore. I said, that has to do with your standing, not your state. They don't know that. Why don't they know it? Because they haven't been diligently studying the word of God. They've listened to people who tickle their ears and tell them what they want to believe. I can't hear you. Yes, people, it's like a smorgasbord. I'm going I'm to believe what I want to believe and the Bible says it right here. You better know the whole counsel of God. And again, just a casual reading through the Old Testament. Did God love Israel? Yeah, but you know, he told them, if you disobey me, this is what's going to happen. Yep, this is what's going to happen. And he told them, you will end up eating your own babies. And you know they did that? He told them what they're going to do. Did they believe him? No, they didn't believe him. They didn't believe him. All right. In Matthew eleven twenty nine through 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You remember me telling you, Mr. Carroll said, there is um, two times in Scripture that the Bible talks about this. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble of heart and you will find rest. He said, there's a rest that's given and a rest that's found. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the rest you come into when you come to the Lord. But you must take his yoke upon you. What is a yoke? What's it talking about? Remember, in that day, oxen were put in a yoke. Why were they put in a yoke? So they would go the same way, right? So he's saying, you take my yoke. You let me guide you through life. And when you do that, what's the result? You'll find rest. What does it mean? What kind of rest is he talking about here? See, the given rest is a rest from working to be saved. That is given to all believers. But the found rest is the rest that you come into when you are letting him determine your life. You don't have to fret about it anymore. It's kind of like my daughter. This is just, I hope, makes you understand it. They were scheduled, I think in two weeks, to go on a tour of the Greek islands and they were going to Israel. And so um, she called me like a week or so ago, and she, well, it was right after this happened, so I guess it's been a little over a week ago, and she said, Mama, we don't know what to do. I was like, what do you mean you don't know what to do? <laughs> I said, you wouldn't think about going over there, I'm hoping. And she said, well, of course we can't go to Israel, but we still go to the Greek islands. I said, Angie, anybody who would go out of the United States today, in today's world, is insane. She said, well, we're going to lose thousands of dollars. I said, better to lose thousands of dollars than to be kept hostage, <laughs> right? <laughs> so she said the next day, Mama, thank you for talking to me. I'm just so relieved. All right, this is the kind of thing he's talking about. See, people make up their own mind what they're going to do, and I'm looking at them thinking, why do you want to do that? Don't you know it's going to destroy your life? What do you want to do that for? <laughs> and then if they hear me, they come into that rest. Y'all follow what I'm saying? She was so relieved. She said, I've just been trying to figure this out. And see, when you take his yoke, you don't have to figure it out anymore. Huh? She does. Well, she does. But see, she's looking at the money that they were going to lose if they didn't go on this trip. Because in the contract with these people, they tell you uh, none of these things can you get a refund. Now, one of them is even the weather. Yeah. And, and so they've kept this safe, see, but you at risk. 
And she told me yesterday, she said, Mama, the couple we were going to go with, they're going to go. She said, and I've told them. Well, see, to me, anybody. I mean, I there's no way you get me to go anywhere. Because, and that's been true for a while, because Americans are prime targets. But you see, in the illustration, we don't want to lose the fact that most people say, oh, the Lord's directing my life. No, he isn't. If you got your hand on the steering wheel, you're directing your life. And a lot of people think, well, he's got the steering wheel. Yeah, I got my hand on it, but it's just in this one area. Oh, really? That doesn't work that way. But see, when you let it go, when you let go of trying to work it out, figure it out, and make it work, you're relieved because you don't have to work it out. And I've said to people through the years, to me, the epitome of insanity is trying to run your own life. That's the epitome of insanity. Why don't you want the one who knows everybody completely and every possibility and probability of every decision you'll ever make, why don't you let him tell you what to do? Because they want their own way. That's why. Now that's the essence of sin. That's the essence of sin. That's the way it is. And I've had women say to me, um, I'm thinking about getting married. What do you think? I said, oh, I, I live by 1 Corinthians chapter 7. <laughs> Paul says, I would that you would stay single because I'm going to spare you trouble. You see, you've got two wheels going there. And like I've said many times, it's one thing to marry when you're young. I'm all for that, marrying when you're young, because you're flexible. <coughs> but as you get older, you're not as flexible. And so <laughs> you got two wheels here. you got two wheels here, right? And he's used to having life his way, and you've had your life your way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, <laughs> my, yep, that's right, that's right, that's exactly what it is, putting two wild oxen in the yoke when you get married, when you're older, because you got your family, he's got his family, and big talk, people talk about a blended family, I'll tell you, I've been in this business almost 49 years, I know what goes on behind the scenes, there ain't no such thing as a blended family. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Remember what Mr. Carroll said, and, and this is in reference to this scripture. He referred to this scripture in Matthew 11 a lot. Bear not a single care thyself. One is too much for thee. The work is mine and mine alone. Thy work to rest in me. What does he mean, thy work to rest in me? Because it is a work to stay at rest in the Lord. It is. You've got to guard yourself constantly. You're going to take it back up again, aren't you? 
you take it right back up. All right, another thing that he said all the time is it takes all you got all the time. Uh, Y'all, it does. See, people don't want to believe that, do they? But you have to watch your thoughts. You have to guard your actions. You have to be careful of relationships. Because any one of those things are going to take you away from what God would have you to be and to do. So you have to be on guard. All right, let's look at questions I must ask myself. In Ephesians 3.12, it states, In whom, in Christ, we have what? Bonus and confident access through faith in him. Now, ask myself, do I live and pray with bonus? I remember, again, Robin said to me one day, first time I heard you pray, it scared me to death. <laughs> she said, I've never heard anybody talk to the Lord like that. Because I, I tell the Lord to, you know, get some people. Did David pray that? Yeah, he did. He did. See, we too, we too, what? What are we if we're not bold? Pitiful. We're pitiful if we're not bold. Scared of what? What are we scared of, y'all? Huh? Listen, you know, and Joyce might remember this. When I first started teaching Sunday school, I had had some Jehovah's Witnesses come to my house, and I was telling them about that Sunday, and one of the women spoke up and said, Oh, I'd be afraid of hurting your feelings. You remember that? Huh? You remember that? And I said, I'm too afraid of hurting God's feelings. How about that? How about that? They come to my house a couple ways when they indulge outside. So he said, he slept on the roof. He said, talk to my wife. So I talked to him a little bit and I just, you know, they left. <laughs> oh, oh, why would you do it? Well, if, if you, um, again, if you ever speak the truth to them, they won't come back. All right, do I approach God with confident access? You know, uh, remember me telling you, this has been over 40 years ago. I was studying about prayer. I was getting ready to do a conference in the D.C. area, and I believe it was the Protestant women of the chapel at that time that I was going to speak to, and it was a three-speaker, you know, I would speak three times. And as I was studying on what it meant to ask in Jesus' name, I thought, I remember where I was. I was walking across my living room floor, and I said, God, this is too good to be true. That to ask in Jesus' name means that you realize you have bold access to a holy God only because he was slain 
for your sin. And that asking his name meant you're coming to him realizing you don't have anything to give him. You don't have any right to be there on your own. You only have bold access and can ask because of who he was and what he did. Now, there are conditions to answer prayer, so I'm not denying that. But most people don't have boldness with God because they're too caught up with their sinful self. Too caught up with their sinful self. They're asking in their own name in what they are. Y'all follow what I'm saying? God doesn't hear you because of what you are. He hears you because of who Christ is and what he did on your behalf. Now, it's a given that you have to meet the conditions God has laid down in his word. And we've already looked at those this morning. So those things are true. But when I was studying and the, the woman who was head of the Protestant Women of the Chapel where I was going to go speak called me. And she said, um, it's going to be raining this weekend. Uh, I wanted to let you know so you be sure and bring a raincoat and umbrella. I did not have a raincoat. Some of y'all going to remember this story. And it wasn't 10 minutes till my doorbell rang. And I went to the door, and Billy Simmons was standing there with this beautiful lavender raincoat. And she said, I just bought this for myself, but God told me to bring it to you. Now, I hadn't asked him for it. The thought had come when I hung up the phone, I need a raincoat. But I hadn't even asked him for one. Why? He w it was like he was reinforcing everything I'd been studying. Reinforcing it. All right? We are to have boldness with God. If we're praying according to his word and according to his will, he's going to hear us. All right? Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do what? Exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we could ever ask or think. Even think to ask. I don't know about you, but I can think to add some pretty big stuff. How about y'all? I mean, this is the one, y'all, who owns it all, has it all. He made it all. He can do anything. He can make a virgin have a baby. He can speak and bring out of nothing worlds beyond what we can comprehend. He can part the Red Sea. He can raise the dead to life. He can take that old stony heart and give us a heart of flesh. Absolutely. Now, y'all were with me, you know, this last two years. You know what I've been through. I want to tell you about this exceedingly abundantly. See, I have been praying for Katie, praying for her husband, and he's getting ready to be deployed. He'll be gone November 8th. And so they were home for two weeks on furlough. And um, he came in the living room one evening. And he said, Grandma, can I ask you something? And I said, sure. 
And he said, I don't know quite how to ask this. He said, Grandma, will you tell me how to overcome temptation? I nearly cried. Now, I want to ask you, this is my grandson-in-law. We sat there for an hour and a half. Him asking me questions and me telling him. And I was telling him, you know, there are places you can't go, people you can't be with, things you can't do, because the flesh has certain desires. So you flee those things. You can't be around. He said, okay, you're talking, Grandma, you're talking about willpower. I said, oh, no, because willpower can't go overcome the flesh. Only the Holy Spirit can overcome the flesh. So I was talking to him about grieving the Spirit. Now, Precept Ministries recognized a couple of years ago, I think, that they're not reaching, the church is not reaching the younger generation. And so what they did was a survey of young people. And they have access, you know, to all kinds of people to investigate this. Why are we losing kids? And they came up with some answers because they said, they don't talk to us about how the Bible's relevant. So no need to go to church. We see the same old stuff. But they don't make it relevant to what we face today. So they've written a Bible study called Yaro. It's named after a flower that brings beauty and healing. So I just listened to David Arthur talking about this study that they've done. And so I asked Stephen, I said, Stephen, if I order you that, will you study it? Oh, yeah. And I said, how about your chaplain? He said, oh, yes, ma'am. I said, I'd love to see the men that you're stationed with do a Bible study together. I said, if I order him a copy, will you give it to him? Yes, ma'am, I sure will. Now, exceedingly, abundantly, above all I could ever ask or think. Now, everybody in this room has people and things they're concerned about. But when you go to the Lord, is that your view? that he's going to do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask or think. Were there things I had to do in order for him to be free to bring that about? Uh-huh. See, I had to be obedient. I had to do some things. But he has done exceedingly abundantly above all I could ask or think. He is an exceeding abundant God. If you're within his yoke, if you know his word, if you're walking with him, see, your heart beats with his when you're really walking with him. You know what his heart is. How many times has God put somebody on your heart? What do you put them on your heart for? Huh. to pray for them, pray for them. Now, there are four young people 
that I pray for on a daily basis. I'm friends with their parents, and they're in a top of fool's hill. <laughs> but I'm praying for them, and I'm believing that God is going to do a phenomenal work in their life. Does he know how to do it? Does he know what it'll take? Yeah, he knows. Does he want to do it? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. All right. Again, a lot of times we don't look at God that way because we think we don't deserve it or they don't deserve it or somehow he just can't or won't. See, that's when the devil comes in when you're praying and tells you those butts. Y'all know the devil's butts. God's got good butts, but the devil's got bad butts. All right. If God could, in Colossians 1.13, if he rescued us from the domain of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his son, is there anything he can't do? Now, this is what we have to ask him. Trans translated into the kingdom. Taken out of one kingdom, translated into the other kingdom. <clears throat> Probably. All right. Questions I must ask myself. Am I living every aspect of my life as one who walks in the light? See, with God, there's only light and darkness, only obedience and disobedience, only right and wrong, only love and hate. Not any in between with God. We want to make him the in-tween God. Y'all know the on-time God song? Most people love that. Oh, he's an in-between God. Not right, not wrong, I'm in the middle. Not so with him. Not so. All right, what about in my thought life? In Philippians 4, 8, he said, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, what are we to do? We're to dwell on those things. That's what we're to think on. It doesn't mean that we don't face things sometimes that are false. We do. But we recognize that's not where I'm going to dwell, right? I'm not going to dwell on that. I'm not going to dwell on things that are going to get into me and change me, right? That's what I cannot do. You don't let anybody or anything determine who you are. You determine that. You determine what you're going to do, and you determine that by what God says. Because we've been looking at what all God says we're to do, right? That's what determines what you do. That's how God tells you. All right, am I guarding my heart with all diligence? No competing affections, nothing. Nobody and no thing is going to turn me out of the will of God. Nobody. I also am not going to regard iniquity in my heart. I'm not going to hold on to any sin because sin separates me from God. 
do I guard my eyes from things that would draw me into sin? Now, that might not just be sexual things, but it can be material things, right? That can draw you into sin. Do I flee youthful lusts? Do I set my mind on things above and not on things on the earth? You can't pursue two things at one time. Alright, he says in Colossians 3.2, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is something, again, we have to put into practice. Because there are a lot of things and there are a lot of people is that true? That can cause us to harden our heart if we let them. If we let them. Alright, what's my mindset to be? He is the one who called out of nothing all that is. Is there anything he can't do? Anything he can't do. And see, when we're in prayer, or when we are seeking the Lord, the devil's going to tell us all the reasons God can or won't do it. Y'all ever had that happen? Every day, right? Every day. He puts your eyes on the things of this world. When you look at this world, what happens is unbelief sets in. But if you remind yourself of who he is and what he's done, you should begin every single day like this every day no matter what's going on stop and reflect on what God has done for you since you've known him stop and reflect because from that will come a heart of gratitude a heart of gratitude that's one of the ways you build your love for God is it Remember the stones of remembrance God told Israel to do? That they would remember what he had done for them? See, people don't stop and remember what God has done. Uh, Saturday, I celebrated my 49th birthday. And it was, you know, just reflecting on that morning I got saved. And what God has done in these 49 years. All the ways he's delivered me from things. You know, not just in me, but circumstances. How he's undertaken. Listen, when you stop every day and do that kind of thing, you keep your eyes fixed on him. Are we told to do that? Fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author, he began your faith, and he's the finisher of your faith. He's going to complete that which he has begun. Now, when I pray for people who are saved, that's one of the things that I say to the Lord. I know you're going to complete that which you've begun. You're going to complete it. Now, I'm asking you 
to do whatever it takes in their life to bring them into that intimate relationship with you that they desire. When I was talking to Katie and uh, Stephen, when they were getting ready to leave, I said, um, oh, I'll pray with y'all. And you know, they just love me to pray with them when they're home and they're getting ready to leave or anything, you know. Or even if something comes up while they're there, they'll come in there. Katie said, Grandma, will you pray with us? Will you pray with us? And I said, now, in the light of where you're going and what's going on in the world, we may never see each other again. And Katie started sobbing. And I said, we have to be real. But God's going to be with him where he is. God's going to be with him. And he's also going to be here with us. He's going to watch after Katie. I said, Stephen, you don't have to worry about Katie. Because God's got her. And he's got the baby. He's got her. So you don't have to worry or fret over the future. Now, that's difficult because they're both new believers. That's difficult when you really haven't walked with God and seen his faithfulness. But has he promised to be a husband to the widow? Now, she's not a widow in the sense, you know, that he is still here. But in the sense that he's going to war, yeah, he's going to be there for her in a way that he wouldn't be if it wasn't. And I said, God has a purpose in this. Is that true? And he's going to do something in both of you in this time that could not be possible any other way. Now, is that the way we should talk to our family members? Is it? See, we should encourage people in the Lord. A lot of times, even believers, because we have young people, you know, that are now being called up, you know, because if they're anywhere in the military, reserve or active military, they're going to be called up. We can look for it to come. And they get hysterical. Why? Because their life's in this world. Right? That's the only reason people get distraught over anything is because their life in this world is threatened. They're afraid like things aren't going to be like they've always been. Guess what? Life is never like it has always been, is it? We live many lives in a lifetime, don't we? And learning to be resilient and saying, you know, no, it's not going to be, guess what? It's not going to be the same for me with Stephen Cohn either. It's not going to be the same for me. It's going to be a whole different thing. Because I'm going to be looking after the baby. She's going to be working at night from 10 to 7. So when she comes home, she's going to need to sleep. So I'm going to be looking after him. Now he's at that little age. He was in there the other day, and he was starting opening kitchen cabinets. And I said, uh-uh, we don't do that. And Katie said, Grandma, we'll get some of those locks. I said, we're not going to get any locks. I'm going to teach him to obey my voice. Right? I'm going to teach him. And y'all know what he did? 
Why do you do that? He's learning how to get his way. <laughs> He's learning how to get his way. You can look at me and scream, show those few little teeth, so cute. The other one's nearly can you? Yeah, yeah, time goes by. Time goes by. So, uh, life's going to be different for me too. So, <laughs> but I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't have it any other way. So, whatever you're facing, this is your outlook. His grace is sufficient, is it? His grace is sufficient. I'm going to let go of what was and embrace what is, whatever that is. I'm going to embrace it. Because life is constantly changing. And if I try to go, hold on, I'm going to split myself up in two. Right? Because I'm trying to hold on, but life's going another way. I have to embrace God's will at this time in my life. And I'm going to pursue what God says for me to pursue. Can we do that? Yeah, we can do that. Father, thank you for your word. It's so clear about what we're to do with life. And I just pray that each of us would get in that yoke with you and do what you say to do, how you say to do it. You know how life works. And Father, you have given your son that each of us might live an abundant life, a life free from worry and care, a life free from burdens, because we're not burden-bearing animals. A life free from frustration and fear. But it has to be done your way, and there isn't any other way. So I pray that we would choose to do life your way. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.